Cyclops, Stormwind, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, Children of the Atom, Students of Charles Xavier, Mutants, feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect. These are the strangest heroes of all, the uncanny X-Men. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I'm joined today by John Hyatt. Hey John, how's it going? Hey there, Brian. It is going great. Yeah, once more we were putting together kind of an impromptu episode uh, and again we're without Tim and without David uh, as there's just so much going on in their world and ours. But uh, John and I were able to find the time to sit back and and come to you with an episode where we're actually going to talk about John Byrne's X-Men Elsewhen. And uh, we're, we're kind of going to go go through it issue by issue. And this is not going to be the in-depth kind of look that we do on the regular books, but more of a, a run-through of the plot and uh, just kind of point out special things about it and things that we know about it, things that we've read about it, and things that we've heard about it. Um, John, you got anything to add there? Uh, just, boy, is there a lot to talk about <laughs> with yeah. this. There's some, there's some really cool stuff in these but nine which, issues so far. Yeah, nine issues. I know I said 11 on the last week's episode, but uh, yeah, tr- uh, it's it's really only nine. I don't know where I got that number from. I think it had something to do with something that Byrne had said on his own site. Uh, not a mistake on his part or anything, but I just think on where he was and what in the work that he was doing when I read it. Yeah, he might have been uh, up to issue 11 or what would be issue 11, something like that. But yeah, he's got several issues ready to go. And hopefully, crossing our fingers because they're supposed to start again tomorrow. Yes, April 6th. The, 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 brand new, the brand new issues are going to start tomorrow. I think we've seen the first page already based yeah. on what, what he's posted. But there, And he's posted a couple little pages that... Um, are uh, are you know th- that that are part of it and there was a one he did just last week I think that had Cyclops and the X Men in a single splash it was just gorgeous yeah it was it was <laughs> now before we get into that though let's just take a moment and 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 take the pulse of what's going on with uh with with all of us uh, now of course um, Tim could not be here he's uh, still in the process of trying to get all of his stuff moved. Uh, from here to Las Vegas, and uh, we hope everything goes well with that. Uh, his wife, Fanula had a birthday just a few days ago, so happy birthday, Fanula! Happy birthday! And uh, David, uh, of course, could not be here also. He's been exceedingly busy with everything that's been going on with this and has not been able to keep up uh, on Elswin, whereas John and I are slackers who can sit back and read this stuff at our leisure. <laughs> I, I, I transferred it all to my Kindle and been reading, re- reread it within just the last few days uh, to you know to be fresh on it since we've been doing it on a day by day as the new pages come out. Yeah, I'm one of those uh, that I tried to wait until we got a whole book together so I could experience it that way, mm-hmm. but. I could not. If it's there, I just couldn't wait to read it, and I couldn't wait for the next day to get to me. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, John, tell me what's what's going on in your world. I mean, you're in California, and you guys were one of the first ones to really institute a full lockdown. Um, how, how's things been going for you, and have you been doing a lot of like online shopping and delivery and such? I have. Uh, yes, so California... About two and a half weeks ago, yeah, we, we did a, a very strong, it's not a military-imposed type of lockdown, but, you know, non-essential business, non-essential stuff, 
all gatherings and things are were suspended and essential work is going on and you can go out for um, walking your dog or um, shopping things like that and uh, it's uh, very interesting we are seeing a lot of more people who are going for walks and of course maintaining social distancing while doing that Man, but, they're uh, not doing that here. I mean, the things I had to run out and get some prescriptions and such, and they're just people that were just still walking right up to you face to face, and I'm just like turning away from them and such. And yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten gotten any masks or anything, but I'm going to have to start wearing something because it's just you know, if if I have to go out and I don't want to go out, I'm used to staying in. I work from home, so I, you know, I'm fine with all that, and I have been able to do a lot of shopping online. Kroger and Walmart both deliver real close by, so I can get pretty much anything as long as they have it in stock, which they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, people here are doing very well. They're very good about maintaining distance. Uh, the just uh, Saturday, actually, uh, where I, in the county where I live, they've implemented a all essential workers who do happen to be working in essential businesses while they're working are mandatory masks, not medical masks but a face covering so people who are making masks out of fabric regular fabric that will work uh, wrapping a pashmina or scarf around your 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 front to help keep that those droplets from passing through that way surgical masks and medical masks can be all um, diverted to where they need it most which is in the hospitals and medical care but people are doing really good about maintaining that and staying home and the, the streets are empty i mean there's just not a lot of traffic at all the um People are doing very good about it, and people are being very good about keeping in touch. You know, um, we holler across the street for our neighbors to say hi and check in, and doing a lot of video conferencing with friends and happy hours with friends and that kind of stuff. So it's uh, phone calls. It's really helping out. Um, I'm trying to write more cards and letters to people who might not have that video technology, so people who are like just don't have it maybe in a nursing home or something so things like that yeah i've had a lot of people that have been been reaching out to me directly you know using like facebook messenger and other other things it's been um very nice uh shout out to bob Kaysen and scott mcgregor uh my nephew terry lee markham who's actually on twitch uh as tori and and he's been streaming his uh role-playing games and him and his wife actually painting action figures on on their channel there Um, yeah it's been fun watching people do that could just go on and they'll start live streaming whatever they're working on in projects and and that's kind of fun and i'm I'm noticing a lot of connections that way uh, with the friends that i know or people that i'm connected to on facebook but don't know personally uh it's really cool instagram doing seeing a lot of cool stuff on instagram so it's it's changing a lot of the way I think that people interact with each other and with conferencing and um, webinars and um, workshops and things like that. I think that's really helping out a lot as well to just get people into a different mindset of doing things. So it's really cool. Yeah, world in is that changing. aspect of it. <laughs> the world is changing. There's yeah. no no other way around it. It's and it's going to change the way we do business in so many ways. 
So, and yeah, I have been on sh- online shopping. I mean, my uh, I have a my elderly mother lives 15 miles away, so I haven't actually seen her in person for two weeks because before the sh- uh, the shutdown, um, I was around people. I didn't want to put her at risk. She's a very high risk person. So uh, the last time I saw her was I was in the street and looking into the house from the street. And hollered at her and dropped some groceries off. But, you know, I'm trying to make sure that she has everything she needs. So using Instacart to do shopping as much as they can find things. And uh, fortunately, she has a caregiver that lives with her. So that's good. Keeps her company and, and they're doing very well. And, yeah, online shopping, finding projects for her to do. Like uh, she asked me about this thing called plastic canvas. And I'm like, what the heck is that? Well, it's this, these little plastic grids that you take yarn and you um, – with a needle and you you create little cool coasters or door hangers and things. So um, send her a bunch of that kind of stuff so that they can work on that together. It'd be fun. Wow. That is. Now, do you have any, any um, friends, relatives that are in healthcare that are, I mean, my, my niece, Barbara is actually an emergency room nurse and my, uh, one of my cousins, Melissa, uh, also as a nurse up in uh, St. Louis. And, of course, they're on the front lines every day uh, dealing with this. My, fortunately for my niece, her husband bought a uh, like an RV, a fifth wheel, actually, uh, RV-type thing, so that uh, she com- comes home and she stays in that. She's keeping her distance from the family uh, to you know just to prevent in case she has gotten infected with anything, but nothing's happened so far. Yeah, but that's it, great. As we know, it, it takes a few days, even after... You know, you get it. You're you're uh, viral for a few days before you even know anything's wrong. Right. So you yeah. can catch it, you can spread it, but you won't know that you're carrying something before you actually have it. In fact, you know, some of the people I've heard have had what I would call a surge before they actually uh, start feeling bad. You know, where you actually feel good. Oh yeah. Before you feel bad, and uh, so that's that's you know something to to be cognizant of. So um, I'm going to change subjects real quick, though. But yeah. while while we're in in this, have you had a chance to like watch any movies, new movies, old movies? You know, something that uh, you know take your mind off of it. Uh, well, like... people are going to probably laugh at me if they even know the reference. But I have been enjoying watching the old British comedy called "Are You Being Served?" Oh yes, <laughs> I still think that that is some of the funniest. Uh, interactions and the characterization and stuff so that that's kind of one of my go-to uh, uh comedies that i like to go and absolutely fabulous and stuff like that but actually just the other night we watched bloodshot and uh that was actually a uh, a very interesting film they did a really good job with it i hadn't read the the comic series but um i saw the film and i was like yeah i don't know let's see but got interested in it and it kind of pulled me into the story and i was pretty interested in that it was good have you that, seen it? I've you know I've seen him years ago. I have not watched him in quite a long time. I remember watching him like every Sunday night on PBS. Uh, you know, back in the day when when that's when they were shown. You know, they were shown on uh, here it was Channel Thirteen. And, uh, oh uh, yeah, are you they, being served? Yeah. Yeah, they would show like Monty Python, Benny Hill. Uh, <laughs> is it the the Dave Allen show? And uh, we, we, we even got, like, Paul Hogan before Crocodile Dundee was a big thing. Um, and The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, which I still think the first few seasons of that are some of the most brilliant TV ever made. Uh-huh. Um, and now, uh, like, 
most a lot of Monty Python, uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, uh, Life of Brian, and the Holy Grail are actually on Netflix right now. So if you want to binge watch Monty Python, it's yeah. all out there. But Are You Being Served uh, was one of those. And then what was the other one? Was it Keeping Up Appearances or? Keeping Up Appearances was one that, to that the was hilarious. Born, to the Manor Born was another one I watched when I was yeah. a young man. Um, yeah. Then in the 90s, one came out called As Time Goes By with Judy Dench, which is oh, a, yeah. it's, it's a that. very, yeah, it's a very sweet comedy. So it's and kind of my go-tos. Open my, my uh, daily obligatory Mountain Dew. <laughs> and uh, so... We watched the film. We watched Bloodshot the other day. Have you seen that film? With, I have um, not seen it yet. We're, it's it's in our it's in our our plan to watch. Uh, but that's uh, Vin Diesel. It looks like an update on on Universal Soldier. Uh, it, it it was very good. Uh, very good adventure. I uh, was quite. Uh, yeah, it, it's out. <laughs> it actually, a lot of it was just like, oh my gosh. It, Threw back memories to when I was a, a ten year old watching the Six Million Dollar Man. We can rebuild him, yeah, faster, yeah. better, did, did stronger. You, did you ever see Universal Soldier with Jean Claude Van Damme? I don't think I did. No. Before they made Independence Day, and before they, even before they made Stargate, uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, I think it was their first big movie, and it starred uh, Jean Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren as soldiers that were killed in combat and then resurrected and put through a process whereas while they were deep freeze they would heal quick and um they of course wiped their memories but they still retained something and uh, the, the whole movie was about jean-claude van damme trying to get back whatever it was he lost in his memory yeah, yeah. and uh dolph lundgren was the bad guy and uh, they made a couple of sequels over the years um in fact one of my best friends was a uh, uh in there as uh, as an extra, but he was actually one of the soldiers that was supposed to go up against him, and oh, wow. uh, his buddy was in, uh, the explos- the demolition guy, Glenn Mouskog. But my okay. uh, my my late friend Sean Kaufman that I've talked about many times on the yeah. show in the past, yeah, he was uh, he was in there as a uh, stuntman slash extra. Oh, and, that's fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I look at I look at Bloodshot as kind of a modern day take on it with modern day special effects and probably much much better production value. Yeah, it was good. It was a good story. Yeah. The other thing that we watched was um, the entire series of Picard. Oh yeah, and gosh, Picard was just amazing. I, I have one or two gripes about it, but I don't want to stay here because I know there's a lot of people that just haven't gotten it, gotten to yeah. it or whatever. But as I understand it, the entire series is now free for all on CBS All Access. Or I'm I'm not sure where they can go to watch it, but it is that it's free for anybody to watch now if they want to. Yeah, I believe the CBS All Access did some release or a 30 day free for everybody, mm-hmm. so people can go and get Discovery, get um, uh, Picard. I hear that there's a new Twilight Zone series, so we're trying to check that out as well. Isn't that uh, and, Jordan Peele? Yes. Yeah. And uh, see, I've watched the first season. There were several episodes of the first season of that, and they were. They were a slow burn, you know. Um, Is that it? Yeah. It's just not, and and I'm just like, okay, where are you going with this? Okay, it's not like us, or you know, the the horror he's put out, um, which of course is uh, golly, you know, crazy stuff. But but still, you know, I'm 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 looking forward to to checking some more out. I just hope that it's a little bit more 
up tempo and and more more twilight zony. Yeah, more more twilight zony than just that long burn creepy. I mean, it it almost had that the creep that the long burn creep like Unbreakable did. Did you ever, oh. ever see that movie? Yeah. Because that's 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 my little segue there. I actually watched Glass, or is it Mr. Glass? The, the and that's the third one in the trilogy: Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. And I actually have not seen Split, so uh, I, I I was afraid. My wife wanted to watch it, and because she had seen it, and I'm like, okay, well, let's just put it on because I'd seen Unbreakable, and I knew, yeah, I still remembered that one pretty well. It's a good movie, but like I said, a slow burn. Yeah. And and this one was not a slow burn. It moved. And um, very interesting, uh, very psychological. Did have you know the typical M Night Shyamalan twist at the end um, that I was just like, oh come on. But, <laughs> you know, beyond that, it was it was you know really really enjoyable. I thought the the end though was was a little lacking, and that seemed to be mm-hmm. a, a a a common thread in some of the movies that I've watched lately. What what else have you watched? Let's see. Well, um, companion to Picard was uh, The Ready Room with Will Wheaton. Okay. So for those who are going to watch Picard, find The Ready Room with Will Wheaton. And then after each episode of Picard, watch the episode of The Ready Room that goes with it. Because Will has guests on. He talks about it. He interviews with the producers and actors. I mean, it's basically for Star Trek what uh, uh, Talking Dead is for Walking Dead, right? It's yes. just not Chris Hardwick. It's you know Will Wheaton, and yeah. I mean, is he taking it seriously, or is he is is it is it all all a joke? Because I, I haven't watched any of them uh, so far. Any any of those no, shows? No, uh, you know it's very serious. Um, he you know his love for the franchise and his love for the the people that he worked with when he was a child growing up when he was a you know a teenager. It it all just comes through, and uh, I found it delightful to. Uh, get that perspective and feel that excitement for the the series that, that he was. And that's good because he he himself is is an is a is a geek and you know even before he got involved in Star Trek he was pretty geeky even as a little kid. So yeah, and he talks about some of that stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, I was such an original series fan, and then you know I get to be on Star Trek and I get to work with Jonathan Frakes and and. Uh, Patrick Stewart, and so you kind of get a little bit of uh, his experience on the set with these people as well. And so it was, it was fun. I liked it a lot. Plus, he interviews the leads, and you get to hear them and how they, uh, the people that were already part of the Star Trek universe, and now the newcomers, uh, yeah. you know, Rios and and um, I really like Rios. Yeah, yeah, I like him too. So I like of, all the versions of him. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great. He's doing a great job with that, actually, and and just the whole the whole thing. Yeah, it was really good. So now, did uh, they uh, did they mention anything about Brian Brophy, the guy that played Bruce Maddox originally in Measure of a Man, and why he wasn't in it? Because they recast re- him. I don't recall that they actually touched on that at all. I think, except for saying that we're sorry that he couldn't make it back or something, whatever. Yeah, it looks like his um, his acting, uh, you know, career went, you know, kind of faded, and maybe he walked away from it and then just couldn't come back to it. Yeah. But man, I, it's still the the show itself was uh, really interesting. The action was 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 really good. 
Uh, I got one one quibble about that in in in, in regards to Picard himself uh, there in the last episode, but I'll I'll leave that be. Um, well, you can tell me about it off, offline. Yeah, maybe sometime down the road, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it on here. But I yeah. just don't want to spoil give, anything for anybody. Give people a chance to check it out because yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Now yeah. I, you know, the thing is, I I watched some new stuff and I watched some old stuff. Um, I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Of course, has been playing on I think Stars. So I, I watched that again and found that still to be enjoyable, but a little self indulgent on, mm-hmm. on Tarantino's part. Um, 1917. I watched that with my wife the other night, and uh, that was really, really good. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And um, I mean, the, the just the the idea behind it and the way that the story flowed, the action just never stopped. And you know, if you're watching this movie, what what you, most people don't realize is that it's like the longest one shot movie ever. Where they, they, I mean, they try to do everything in a single shot. The longest single shot they have is like eight and a half minutes. Wow. Because the way (laughs) they do this movie is whenever it gets to a dark area or or they go behind something, they can do some creative editing so that, you know, they can break it up. The shortest uh, shot is like 39 seconds. but But, I mean, they just did long shot after long shot following. They never left the guys on the, on the mission. They stay with them every step of the way. And so it was really, really interesting to see that and just a, a, a really, really good good movie. Uh, but you really have to gird yourself up for it because it is harsh. It is hard. And, I mean, it is, you know, the horrors of war uh, in World mm-hmm. War One. So, um, yeah, yeah I, 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 I can't recommend that one anymore. And, of course, watching that one there, and uh, you know they they had that no man's land uh, moment. Uh, next day, my wife turns on Wonder Woman because because <laughs> it had the, the no man's land moment in there as well. And so uh, we watched that yesterday. And then last night, uh, for whatever reason, we watched. I'd never seen this movie before. I'd heard about it, and I just didn't know you know know enough about it to to know if I'd be interested in it. But we watched the talented Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon and Jude Law and mm-hmm. with Paltrow, and that is a really, really good movie with a really, really horrible ending. <laughs> it is a really horrible ending, and but the <laughs> acting it is really well produced and done. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, watching watching that and seeing Jude Law, then I can see why they were considering him for Superman. Uh, back in the days of uh, Superman Returns, I mean, mm. they, 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 of course, they, you know, had Brandon Routh, but they also were considering uh, the guy that did play him later, Henry Cavill, and then they were considering Joe Manganiello, but they were looking at Jude Law really hard, but he just did not look big enough to play him. But I could see why they wanted him. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that and come to find out, what I didn't know uh, about this is that there's like four different books based on the Ripley stories, and they've made other movies with like John Malkovich and and other actors playing the part of Ripley himself. Have they? So, yeah, and I mean they're you know, definitely not in the same production value that you see here with with Matt Damon. 
and uh, just uh, did a really, really again good, good movie. And, and you know, there's a, a the backup cast. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and the guy that always plays the uh, jerk in <laughs> in like uh, Scent of a Woman, and uh, he was the what national security advisor in, in Independence Day. I, I I can't remember that actor's name, but uh, uh, he actually didn't play a really bad guy. He just played a rich guy, you know. So, uh, yeah, we watched that uh, last night. And like I said, I was really, really entertained right up to the ending. Yeah. The abrupt and stupid ending. But that's, you know, again, just me. Other people may like it. Your mileage may vary. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Now, and then uh, the other thing was I uh, watched the entire McMillions documentary series on HBO. We're almost through that now. We've got, I think, one or two episodes left. <laughs> and, and you may have saw my post about this, but did it make you hungry for, like, double cheeseburgers or a Big Mac or something? Cause, oh, I yes. Mean, remember, it, I, I responded with a Big Mac. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. back when uh, Super Size Me came out, I couldn't help myself. It made me hungry for their food. It didn't make me not want to eat it because mm-hmm. I, I, I've got self-control. But... <laughs> But uh, yeah, just watching watching that made me hungry for more McDonald's. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure McDonald's recognized that because I'm sure they saw an up, uptick in their uh, sales. Of course, things are as they are now. So uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it is an interesting documentary. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. And yeah. and uh, it bears watching. I mean, they they the they're it kind of slows down in the middle episodes, but in that last episode. Um, provided a, a, a few little surprises and you know the thing is you're, you're sitting there first you're dealing with you know just uh what seems to be the average guy uh sick with ms and somehow worked himself into a position where he had control over those pieces and then mm-hmm. the mob gets involved and you just see all these things that they're doing and why didn't someone pick up on this before and it's because you just don't take it seriously it's McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, and the thing is, is like I sit there and watch that and I, I look at, at, you know, our own lotto system and not uh, Texas lotto looks to be really corrupt. Uh, Mega Millions also looks to be really corrupt. I don't know about Powerball, which is one of the national ones, but like the Texas mm-hmm. lotto, they added an extra number uh, seven, eight years ago to, to make it harder to hit those jackpot numbers. But we hit jackpot numbers every couple of weeks. That that jackpot total has never gotten over has not gotten over thirty million in years. That's mathematically impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not possible that that many people are winning. And I think that someone should take a long, hard look at that. Now, I'm going to get shot to death probably within the next weeks after we uh, post this show because. <laughs> Nobody wants anyone talking about that kind of stuff. So if I die, people, this is why. <laughs> and maybe I'll catch the coronavirus suddenly. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Um, anyway. That's not why we're here today. We're here. We're here to talk Elswin. Talk about John Burns, X-Men, X-Men, Elswin. Now, for those that are not aware, if you've been under a rock or what, or haven't listened to our show in the past, or, you know, whatever, um, John Byrne, after 2008, 
had stopped working for uh, the major comic book companies. He wasn't doing anything more for Marvel or DC. He actually stopped Marvel in around 2000. And DC in 2008, after uh, the JLA Classified series was, was published. And he had pretty much had it with both both of the companies based on the way that they were treating him or the way that they, they were doing business. And it looked like, it, it, as time went on, he was less and less inclined to even draw anything um, related to comic book characters. Now, he was doing... Uh, the Star Trek comic books. He'd done some Angel and uh, a few other things at IDW. He completed his X-Men, uh, Next Men series. And uh, then he started working on his Fometi Star Trek series, which is just, he was, I, I don't want to say just, but he was using uh, a, a variation of Photoshop to create brand new Star Trek episodes using the pictures of the crew from virtually everyone of the original series episodes in the three seasons. And he would uh, Lucas them in a fashion where he could sit there and manipulate the the images and the characters and the costumes to make completely original stories. And you, you, you found yourself reading this as a new story rather than looking and saying, oh, I recognize this from this episode or whatever. And so you got you know, brand new original series Star Trek episodes thanks to John Byrne and this, you know, photo montage uh, format but he wasn't drawing comic books anymore he was getting a little bit of the itch scratch just by doing commissions but he even stopped doing that after a while and i don't know that he ever gave a a big reason as to why he did that he just he just stopped taking the commissions um and then uh just a little over a year ago he posted up pencil practice and he said he was just scratching an itch and it was a single page shot of Wolverine and Sauron in the air. It looks like in locked battle. And you know, the, the comic book side of the internet exploded. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And as, as time went on in this particular thread called pencil practice on Burns website, uh, burnrobotics.com he was sitting there and every couple of days he would just post a, a shot you know a page and they weren't necessarily in any kind of order and you're like what's going on here what's happening and it yeah. turned out that he just had an itch to scratch where the all new all different uncanny x-men were concerned and so we started to see something forming and as time went on he you know, was putting more and more and actually creating a story and building all this. And, and not only was he building a story with those X-Men from that day, he was building them as if Phoenix, at the end of the the, the Phoenix saga, was done as they had originally planned. She was lobotomized, so Jean Grey was a you know woman with no powers and the, the intellect of about a five-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And that Lalandra had done something with the Phoenix Force and taken it, you know, it's, it's part of the story. And they, he then started creating this as, we'll call it fan fiction. Word got out that C.B. Sabolsky at Marvel had wanted to publish it and they had discussions, but nothing ever came from it. And ultimately, Burns said he didn't want to publish it through Marvel. And that he was just going to go ahead and publish it on his own website as fan fiction. 
And as it is, a year later, we have nine full issues completed and out. They're penciled. Uh, the pencils were a little rough at first, but now they're very, very tight pencils because this is how he's putting it out. And anybody else is free to ink it, but he's right. not expecting it to be inked or colored or anything. He's just putting but, it out as is. And that was kind of what he... Then, then he kind of just say that. He's like, hey, I'm just giving you pencils. You all can uh, ink it, color it, practice on it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and there's a thread on Burn Robotics that's just on inking of Elswent. And so every every few days you'll see someone has you know, put up a couple pages of, of their rendition of it. And even uh, some people are coloring it as well. Yeah. There's some... uh, and people are doing this not just on paper they're doing it on their tablets they're doing it on their phones they're actual apps that they've got that they can do these things ink and color right there from their smartphones i i just find that completely uh, mind-blowing me too <laughs> so uh it, that being said uh like i said we're nine issues in the first issue is kind of like an introduction uh, it just seemed to, because that was that was him starting to scratch that itch, but as he got more and more into it, he realized that he actually had a story or several stories to tell, and it's much like uh, a muse hitting someone, you know. So you can imagine uh, Salma Hayek from uh, Dogma. Just coming there and inspiring Burn to do, do all this, and it's flowing off of his pencil onto the page, and he's just letting it go where it wants to go. And so we're getting stories of the Uncanny X Men, and we'll start as issue one thirty eight. Uh, now one thirty eight is not the funeral scene. We don't get. 138, 139, we don't get those last issues that uh, he did with Claremont, because this is his take on X-Men after that, and it's basically as if it was happening today, and all that stuff had just happened very, very recently. In fact, of the matter is, the first few pages of X-Men Elsewhere show the X-Men leaving the Blu-ray of the Moon and coming back to Earth. Yeah, it starts off on the Moon, and the... Uh the discussion between Lalandra uh, and what's his name? A Akari? Iraqi. Yeah. Iraqi. Yeah. The, yeah. It, so, uh, yeah. So that, that, that gives us the starting point. It, it definitely tells us this is right after X-Men 137. So this is, this is that divergent timeline, the, the burn verse instead of the Kelvin verse. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, and he just, kicks off and starts running where the plot of the first issue after they get back from the moon shows Kitty Pride being trained you know on, on uh, working with Cerebro and the professors detected some mutant presence down in the Savage Land and he dispatches Scott and the rest of the X-Men down there to see what's going on yep Kitty Pride well, wants to go go ahead yeah, well first of all this is a 37 page book <laughs> yeah well it's the first one you know <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah. that's how that's so cool is that, man, it's 37 pages to start with. And uh, so you were really kidding off with the, the huge thing. And I love I was just noticing and I, didn't, I kind of 
forgot about it, but uh, when Kitty was in the control with him, uh, Professor X calls her Sprite. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Uh, her trying to figure out her code name. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, that's right, because, yeah, that, that happened after Cyclops had left, but uh, in, in the original. But, yeah, mm-hmm. they're still calling her Sprite. And, uh, of course, you know, she wants to go with the X Men down to Savage Land. Professor Xavier forbids it. Yeah. Naturally, she stows aboard the the Blackbird and goes with the X Men down there. And due to a, uh, a little uh, fun housing with Wolverine, uh, Kitty winds up falling out of the Blackbird, phasing through the uh, bottom of it and falling into the, 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 the grounds of the Savage Land. Uh, Nightcrawler, of course, tries to uh, catch her on the way, but uh, she's still scared of him. And she faces right through his hands. I love that he remembered those those bits and pieces of the, what the early days of the that introduction of her character to the X Men was that she was a little bit nervous and afraid of him. And not only uh, that, not only that, you know, Chris Claremont turned Kitty Pride into a super genius on par with Reed Richards and Tony Stark. Whereas Burns said, no, she's an average 13-year-old little girl with all the, the failings of a 13-year-old little girl. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, you're not going to see her doing, you know, crazy stuff and circumventing systems, you know, by knowing how to hack the computers and whatnot. So uh, just, yeah, his kitty pride is, is the kitty pride I remember from, from back then. Yeah, from the beginning, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was- yeah. But, uh, uh, but that's what takes the X-Men into the Savage Land. And very quickly, they come across Carl Lycos, who, if you don't remember, he's the, uh, they called him a non-mutant variant, right? That uh, would transform right. when he absorbed mutant power into the pterodactyl-like Sauron, who uh, we all, of course, remember from the, the X-Men Savage Land issues that Burn did, where he did that amazing uh, spread, you know, two-page spread yeah. with uh, Wolverine, and Storm laying there unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the story, of course, the uh, you know, as Xavier is looking around the mansion for Kitty, he gets a call from the Greys because they're wor- worried about Jean and that she is not getting back to normal, and she seems to be stuck as a as a emotionally as a five year old child. And of course, Jean's sister is worried about her own kids because you know what's to say they're not going to be mutants. You know, and they seem to hold Professor Xavier responsible for the fact of their mutantdom. Yeah, um, yeah, and that 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 concern from Sarah is a carryover from the original series as well, because she was always concerned about her children. Once once Jean revealed to her that, or revealed to the family that she is a mutant. Yeah, I remember in um, the Bizarre Adventures uh, yeah. books, the magazines. Uh, they had a, a three-story issue that had Iceman story, a Phoenix story, and a Nightcrawler story. And the, the, the Phoenix story was basically Jean and her sister having that conversation while they're getting thrown into some little thing that went on there. At, uh, I guess they were, they were at the beach or something? I don't know. It's been yeah. a long time. Yeah, uh, they are at the beach, and that's where we learned about Annie. Yeah. Jean's childhood friend Annie and all that, which was That's a nice right. little backstory. That's right, because didn't Annie die and Jean experienced her death with her? Yeah, Jean was there when Annie when Annie died, so she kind of and that. That's what they threw Charles, that into. Yeah, Charles made Charles aware of her. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's good stuff. Yeah. 
going back to the story, Kitty Pride, you know, phases as she's falling out of the sky. So she goes down into the earth and realizes it's not like she's going to be able to swim upward. So she just continues to go down and finds herself in a large, like, industrial <clears throat> complex underground. Yeah, and that's some great um, artwork there of showing her in amongst all the dirt and the panic on her face and how, how is she going to figure this out. And, yeah, and uh, her expressions through all yeah. of this are just so amazing uh, to, yeah. see, to see the determination on her face, the fright on her face, and, of course, the horror when we get our first true villain, MODOK. Yeah, and, and when she first dropped into it, because when we're reading this, she's dro- we're getting this a page at a time, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, oh, okay, now we're back into maybe visiting Magneto or Mesmero issues from way back when uh, in uh, the Neil Adams stuff. Yeah. And uh, what's going to happen? I was I was really surprised about who we saw. <laughs> I was well, like, I what? Saw, I see Modoc, and we just see him from a back angle as he comes on and attacks Kitty. And then, of course, Byrne, being this true master storyteller that he is, has made it in this, and it's so apparent when you're reading day from day, day to day, every page has a cliffhanger. Yeah, Going exactly. to the next page. It was brilliant. In, in, in seeing that and as you go along in this story and there's so many different threads going along you know whether it is Kitty down in the complex uh, Wolverine dealing with the things that he has to deal with uh, Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops dealing with Sauron Colossus and Nightcrawler and those flying ships and the locals you know that, that they, they come across and, and all these stories are swirling around uh, this, this whole plot and just as it's getting going, you realize not only is Modoc there, but AIM. AIM. And yeah. that's idea mechanics. And, you know, they're in those yellow hazmat outfits, with the, which, of course, would be mighty helpful right now here. <laughs> yeah, with the mesh with the mesh faces, face masks. <laughs> it was so yeah. cool. And, of course, you know, Lycos does uh, his transformation to Sauron. And that was so, that, that one shot alone, I think that was one of the initial shots that we got is so Neil Adams to me. Yes. It looks so much like something Neil Adams would have done back in the day. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and there were so many times in this series that Byrne does channel Neil Adams. But Byrne is also channeling the, the, the artwork that he drew back in the late 70s and the early 80s, back when Terry Austin was inking him. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that kind of style, not the style that he came in later that... Uh, so many people did not uh, necessarily well I don't want to say so many people but a number of people complained about when they would say his older stuff was better this is his older stuff and if you're not enjoying this well you just don't know what fun is (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you're right the the, that one page uh, page 17 where Soren does come in yeah it's very very old school uh, Bronze Age style very good stuff yeah. And you can't have Carl Lycos without Sauron showing up. There's just no way in the Savage Land. And, and Lycos just looks so sickly. Yeah. And so it, he looks like, um, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, Todd McFarlane drew him for Peter David during the Hulk series. It was a, he was a, a parasite. And green just you know looked emaciated most of the time. And whenever he would absorb the Hulk's energy, the Hulk would shrink and he would get larger and all that. And mm-hmm. that's... I don't remember what his name was, but that's what Lycos reminds me of here. 
it's weird to compare Burns' work to McFarlane, but that's that's you know what I'm seeing. Yeah. And there there comes a moment where uh, Lycosis and uh, Sauron uh, hypnotizes Storm into thinking Wolverine is an attacker, and she brings lightning down on Wolverine. The full fury of lightning, and where basically he is, as Cyclops gets, says it, he's pretty much cooked clean through. <laughs> but, you know, his healing factor will take care of it. We're just going to have to let him stay here. And they just leave him behind to heal while they continue on their search. Mm-hmm. And then we get our first full-on shots of MODOK. And I yeah. have seen, I, I've never read a, a full MODOK story, and I need to. Uh, but I've seen a lot of shots of Modoc, you know, basically, definitely from like the the Ohatmu and and other books and stuff. But my gosh, this shot of Modoc on as at page twenty one is so gorgeous and so detailed and so hideously ugly, and yet yeah. it makes it look so cool. So I yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a big uh, adversary of Ms. Marvel when they first started her book. So if you want to read some Modoc stuff, uh, catch some of those early issues of Ms. Marvel. Uh, if you have an opportunity to get them, either in trade or on Kindle. Now these are the ones written by Chris Claremont, or were they earlier? I'm, I think Claremont had jumped onto the book by then. I think he got onto the book by issue three or four, mm-hmm. and was taking it places. You know. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, Kitty moves along and she sees the, the AIM guys, but then we go back to the X-Men as they're going through the jungle. Yeah. And it, they, it was a really good way that he kept going back and forth to keep the story moving while while the teams are separated. And he did such a nice job at pacing it just right. So you're like, okay, we've got to this point. Now we can jump over here and uh, get them going again. And, yeah, I mean, the way that Cyclops and Storm and Nightcrawler get back together, they hear Nightcrawler's bamfs as, like, thunderclaps. And it, he catches up to him as he's just sitting there teleporting around until he can actually find them. Um, and they finally get to the complex. Kitty finally gets to the main part of the complex, and it's just daunting. I mean, we're talking Death Star-type technology. Oh, yeah, that was awesome stuff. I mean, this this is Kirby and Mobius and Neil Adams and all that just combined into one in such detail that that one page where you see her going through the AIM soldiers and then she, you know, goes through the walls until she comes out into the gigantic doohickey thing. I, I don't even know what you want to call that. But that is just one. Of, that's one of my favorite pages of this issue. And this, yeah, it is. And this is what page twenty-five. Yeah. And uh, now we'll we'll go ahead and put the links to all of these on uh, the on the Burn Robotics uh, site uh, in the uh, the notes, so you can actually download it there uh, or go in there and look at the pages on his website. Um, there is a fellow in the Burn Victims uh, Facebook group that has converted all of these into PDF or CBR that you can download and put on your tablet or phone or whatever if you want to read them at your leisure. And Uh, color in pencil or ink them at your leisure. (laughs) That too, yes. So uh, be be sure to check it out. And like I said, if if you can't find it, PM me. I'll I'll, I'll get you a link or I can actually get you the the files. Um, There's no, you know, harm in transferring these files around because there's no money being exchanged for any of this. It's you know, fan fiction. I'm finding this interesting that 
um, Byrne chose Modoc for their first adversary after the Phoenix Saga. So I thought that was really kind of cool because I don't even recall Modoc or AIM ever really interacting with the X Men much. They always were more of a Spider Man or uh, Daredevil it's type. Just a departure. Yeah, so uh, I I love that we he just kind of went to this as a totally different, a totally a, a surprise to us. Like, oh, okay, yeah. And it also does what I'm really a fan of with this is he's still linking us into the rest of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Now we failed to mention this earlier, and I, I just remember now that there was controversy in this first one in the in the the first four pages. Uh, Byrne had initially drawn it where instead of Wolverine tripping Kitty and having her fall through the the floor, um, he was actually going to spank her for being a naughty little girl. And he Byrne had actually taken the pages and shown it to some female friends of his, and they said they they brought up uh, some objections to it. So he went ahead and changed it as a result of that and then told us all about it and showed us that and, and you know of course put the new new pages out there on the uh pencil practice thread and that's how far back that goes and um the thing that made me think of it of course was the page where kitty finds colossus and she starts kissing him and doing the moi 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 and that's kind of a you know the the way you kiss the ground after being on you know being stuck in the ocean for for weeks at a time. She's mm-hmm. finally found someone, and it's not just because it's Peter. She's just happy to see somebody, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's very cartoony in that way. I thought it was funny though. But it was when doing this page here, and this is page twenty eight, that Byrne made a comment about losing Peter's face, and that he can't he couldn't visualize Peter's face in his head anymore so he had to concentrate more on doing it it's not like the pencil was actually just easily doing it because mm, interesting. Or- originally when he was doing Peter in the orig- in, back in his Uncanny X-Men days he was drawing his face as Jethro Bodine from uh, Beverly Hillbillies oh yeah and you know, like, I, I, I was just like I, I never thought of that till now but yes that is exactly you know it, it is. is. It, it's it funny is. because in later years, when John Romita Jr. was drawing it, um, I actually saw one of my best friends growing up, Lawrence Wright, who, who sadly passed away a couple years ago, um, who was very tall like Peter, and uh, he had the soul of a poet. And so they, they, they have very much in common. And so when JRJR's version of Colossus was around, he reminded me of my friend Larry. Oh, that's never, nice. Never, uh, n- never this one though. This one, in fact, here he looks more like um, Superman. Yeah, yeah, uh, an, an overly bulky Superman. But uh, yeah, and uh, golly, Modok, and and on page twenty nine is so freaking creepy. Every <laughs> shot of him is just, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's really for for such an outrageous design of a character. Mm-hmm. This really makes it work the way that he's doing this. It's really cool. I mean, I mean, I mean, could you look at the the guy's head is enormous, and then where the heck is his body? I mean, who knows? But it doesn't matter because the way that he's drawing it is just like you're not even drawn to that aspect of things until you actually put your mind to it. You're just like, wow, this this Modoc is something else. <laughs> yeah, 
You know, it, it, and when we get to page 30, there's one little plot point that Byrne never went back and touched on, and that was the fate of Carl Lycos. Because he almost, I mean, Lycos just kind of, as he's talking, he fades out, and Cyclops says, Lycos, I think he's dead, but he didn't actually go over and check him. Yeah. Nobody, nobody checked him to see what happened to him, and of course the story goes on the way it does, that they never actually go back and, and, and explore that. So we don't know ever what happened. Of course, this being the world of comics, nobody dies. Or if they die, they come back somehow some other way, you know? Yeah, and, I, and based on how things have worked in the past, I'm pretty sure that as long as there's no mutants around, Sauron is not a threat. It's only when mutants show up yeah, that, this, and get close enough to him that he can absorb them. Otherwise, he hangs out with Kazar and... and group there and does his works and stuff there that's why he chose to stay in the savage land way back in the first time we had the savage land right. stuff with neil adams is that he's like hey i'm just going to stay here because there's no mutants i don't have to worry about becoming sauron uh it's only when the x-men show up that sauron comes so um <laughs> it's like x-men stay out of the savage land yeah it's it's weird how they treat him as a friend and yet at the same time he can become their enemy at any time it's just yeah, I do like um, when Kitty comes into the area there, not realizing they're in a dampener, and then she's like, "Oh, I better get out!" and bang, bump, you know, basically smashes her nose against the uh, the wall. I, I like the, the the way the artwork is handled in it. It looks, you know, like what would actually happen to a real person. Yeah, <laughs> and her learn learning her powers and stuff. She's just like thinking, "Oh, I've got these powers. I can do anything." Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the next page, of course, is Colossus. And, and Byrne sure does give Colossus a lot to do in some of these. It's really, really interesting. I especially love on page uh, 31, at the bottom panel, Colossus's face. Mm-hmm. And it, where he sits there and says, My instincts tell me I should devote my energies to doing as much damage as I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, he, as he just tore through all the AIM soldiers, the AIM troopers. But, man, I would He's- love to see this page colored. Oh yeah, yeah. Because well, it's, all that burn tech and, and, and all the the Kirby crackle—it almost looks like lava and such. What, what that that's in there, or some sort of gigantic, you know, bubbling cauldron? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's hard to tell how he's got that going, but it, it really is good work. Yep. Yeah, I, I like how Burn is really kind of capturing the character is the characteristics of the team from that era it's almost like you know none of that other stuff has gone on you know for the last 40 years um he's able to kind of pick it up and put them back into where they were then and move from that point forward yeah that's good now the the next page here page 32 is where modok comes in uh, to the x-men uh, trying to find out how many more of them there are, and Cyclops has Kitty come out from hiding, and she, you know, basically, without her powers working because they got a dampener, she goes in and attacks Modok and throws him into a wall. Yeah, it's and, almost like boo. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it's like boo. And it, you can see Modok is like, in uh, his chair when it hits the wall fries out. You hear the zerks, and apparently the dampener was controlled by his chair, so the X Men are freed. And can easily at this point turn the tide. Yeah. And then uh, the the best part of it, though, of course, the, this is a lava's about to come in and take everyone. 
best part of it is uh, as Modok is getting ready to go after him, Kitty Pride phases him into the wall and then leaves him there. Yeah, that was something else. Oh, and by the way, this is a two-page spread. Yes. Um. Wow. And it would have been. Colossus digging himself out of the ground at the very end. And yeah. I, I love Kitty's line. Oh, Colossus, Peter, I, uh, you're super hot, and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that double page spread is beautiful. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And then, of course, we get a nice big boom for that final explosion. Is uh, You know, of course, Colossus had done all that damage. And, and and so that's you know what was causing all the problems in the facility, caused it to to basically you know go like this go under to the volcano, and the X Men were able to escape just in time, and then of course we get to the last page, where uh, a a nearly fully healed Wolverine walks out of the jungle naked, up to the X Men, and you know you see Colossus uh, covering Kitty's eyes and. Other people trying to hide their eyes. There's <laughs> Wolverine <laughs> standing there, and apparently he's got a plant stuck right there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, apparently, uh, you know, uh, other things in the jungle were trying to eat him when he finally healed enough to wake up. Uh, yeah, that's great. And they say that's the last page, but that is not. The last page is yeah. actually... Um, Lalandra. last two pages are of Lalandra and the fact that... Um, she has got something to do with the Phoenix stored away uh, at this one station. Although she doesn't call it the Phoenix, she just says the Entity. Yeah, she calls it the Entity, but they do have the Phoenix logo on the door. Which, uh, you know, says... Oh, right, yeah, yeah. You know, looking at the pace that we're getting through this, I think we're only going to be able to do a few, so maybe next week we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll do some today, and then next week we'll do uh, a couple more. You can do that. Yep. Uh, or find time during the week if possible. Now, uh, going on to issue two, it looks like uh, it, that Steve Wilcox, the guy that runs the site, uh, runs the, the Burn Victims um, Facebook group, took one of the inner images and made it a full page so that it could be do, done as the front as the front cover to the issue. Because Burn's not doing any cover page cover pages. Yeah, no, I wish he would. Excuse me. Now, um, the next issue is called Prototype, and uh, the opening of it. Now, this is uh, basically a, a story about a single Sentinel attack in Salem Center. I'll say that three times real fast. <laughs> yeah, single <laughs> Sentinel attack in Salem Center. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, the X Men dealing with that. Now, at the same time that they're dealing with that. Um, Logan and Kurt get back from uh, Canada where they dealt with Alpha Flight. So we can think maybe the Wendigo story did occur uh, with them going there. And then as they get back to the mansion, they, of course, engage in some of their fun uh, shenanigans that Peter and Logan were known to, to do from time to time. And Colossus yeah. ultimately breaking that up as they hear that there's a Sentinel alarm and they go to help the X-Men in Salem Center. Now, that's just Storm and Kitty that um, are in Salem Center that are having to try and fight some new prototype Sentinel. And the one thing that, that's obvious about this Sentinel is that it is not 
uh, saving human life as opposed to the Trask ones that would protect human life uh, while it was trying to, to uh, capture or destroy mutants. Yeah, this, this one, one doesn't care. If they're in the way, they're in the way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler get in a stratojet and they head, uh, head into town to help the X-Men out with this and they quickly find out that there's a force field on it. Uh, then we get, and meanwhile, as Professor and uh, Scott go to visit the Greys to see what's going on with Gene, as Gene is playing with the kids with this little birdie thing. But as soon as Scott shows up, Gene jumps on him and does that mwah, 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 kissing again like Kitty did to Colossus last time. So apparently Gene's got all the feelings and everything that she had before, just doesn't know how properly to express them. Yeah with a five-year-old intellect. Yeah. And, well, she knows how to properly express them. It's just not with a five-year-old intellect. That's yes, not right. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's made Scott very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. That would and, be very uncomfortable indeed. And then Gene's sister points out that the toy that Gene was playing with that was flying around isn't supposed to fly. Not supposed to fly. And then, of course, that's a page cliffhanger. We go back to the X-Men fighting the Sentinel. And uh, Kitty, of course, looking at this and seeing that, you know, they're not losing, but they're not winning either. And um, as uh, as she goes on, she realizes that uh, the force field causes her to bounce off. But she kind of comes up with their solution. And this one really kind of had me perplexed. But when she tried phasing through it, she couldn't phase through it, but she could jump on it and grab on it. Even with the force field. Does that make any sense to you? Huh. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. Um, page, page 16. That, that somehow she was still able to hang on to it for several seconds. While she was hanging on to it, she phased it down into the ground, so only the top of its head was still there. And it's funny because the, the, the top of its head looked around and quivered. You know, as as it realized what its what its situation was, and while it was stuck there, Wolverine took his claws in there and basically carved out the brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was again they do with the Sentinels. Byrne does with the Sentinels what uh, others had done, where you he's given them almost a, a lifelike um, countenance. You know, they're 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 acting as if they're scared or frightened of certain things, and they scream. When they're afraid of something. And so, you know, of course, everybody goes, well, they're coming after the mutants, but they're killing humans. So if the X-Men weren't here, we wouldn't have been attacked. And everybody's upset, of course, and the X-Men realize they've got a whole new ballgame going on. Yeah. And then, of course, you see that there's a van. Uh, this is on page 20. Sebastian Shaw and Henry Peter Gyrich. Uh, as Gyrich is sitting there going, you know, what the hell? You're killing people. I thought Sentinels didn't attack humans. And you can tell Shaw just doesn't care. He, He's yeah. glad to see whatever gets killed. And he then uh, announces he's bringing Master Mold online the next day. Yeah. As Project Wide Awake, which was referenced in the Dark Phoenix saga. Yep. Now, this one, you know, again, the pencils were a lot tighter, uh, especially like the scenes with Wolverine and um, Nightcrawler. Uh, Wolverine's expression, especially when he's smiling, because, you know, I mean, he just, he looks so small and 
unassuming, just some really funky hair. But, you know, Wolverine doesn't look like a, you know, a killer in his mm-hmm. films. And then again, as soon as Nightcrawler starts messing around with him, he he gets, you know, vicious. Yeah, he gets he loses his temper. You're right. And you see Nightcrawler, of course, using the image inducer to make a little yeah, hair. Just... That's Errol Flynn, right? Uh, more than likely. Or Douglas Fairbanks. Oh. Uh, one of the two. That was those were his favorites back then to to induce as one of those two guys. Yep. Oh man. It's a lot right. of fun now. Yeah. And it is interesting. I didn't catch the the Canada reference uh, that, until you just pointed it out again. And then yeah, that would that would probably place the Wendigo story still a part of this. Which is cool, because that was an interesting story, and that's where we first met, or not first, but where we got to see a little bit more of Alpha Flight. Yeah. Yeah. At least we know that story happened. Yeah. Um, And it probably could have happened pretty much the same way, except Nightcrawler wouldn't have been thinking about Gene as he's unpacking the the, uh, van. Mm Mm-hmm. So he'd probably just be enjoying the sunset, which is what he was supposed to be doing, according to Byrne. <laughs> but uh, now, if you ever read, um, did you ever read X Men classics with the backup stories that John Bolton did the artwork on? I did. And this is not the uh, yeah. That's right. No relation to Michael Bolton, the horrible singer. I'm kidding. I think he's funny. <laughs> but yeah, this whole sequence with with Night Nightcrawler and Wolverine, and the Nightcrawler even gives him a kiss on the cheek. And then that um, middle of page six, where Wolverine's going through the window, and you see all that detail, and then the sound effect is that bra. <laughs> 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 and and Nightcrawler's counting six hundred dollars for a chair, much again for a pair of windows. <laughs> Professor will not be happy, Logan. He just keeps taunting him with his joking. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Then Nightcrawler, of course, comes in and stops, and I just love the detail. On Logan's face and all the all around him there, when when Colossus is picking up the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Wolverine's kind of like, um, if I wanted him dead, he'd be not worse by now. <laughs> yeah. Boy. So it makes you wonder: was he really in control or not? You know, we just think, okay, well, it was good stuff. Yeah, he gets mad pretty fast, but. Uh, he can calm down quick, quick enough. At least we've seen that in like X Men 143 when he took a swipe at Nightcrawler after Nightcrawler kissed Mariko. Oh yeah. But he calmed down relatively quick after that. You know, they all told him to calm down. Um. Now, getting back to the battle with the Sentinel, and you know, of course, the other X Men getting there. Colossus coming down on top of the Sentinel from behind. And uh, Kitty realizing that she's using her powers without even thinking about it. So if something's coming at her, her phasing power pretty much automatically turns on so that she doesn't get, you know, run over by a van or, you know, anything. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. But man, Colossus just looks huge coming down on that Sentinel's head. So am I am I remembering correctly that Wolverine really wasn't one of Byrne's favorite characters? That he... Is that... No, well, what it was was when um, Byrne started on the X-Men books, uh, Claremont was thinking about writing Wolverine out. Yeah. But Byrne was, you know, of course, at that time, Byrne was in Canada. And he's going, no, wait, he's the only Canadian character you've got. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, as they would come up with plots, he would sit there and come up with more for Wolverine to do, which led, of course, to the, okay, suckers, you've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. Yeah. Which turned everything around on Wolverine. Yeah. Well, it just seems like he's um, bumping up Colossus a lot here, and I'm just wondering if maybe he just wants to highlight a different character or if or if uh, Colossus was always kind of his favorite, but then because the popularity of Wolverine took off that um, he just really had no choice but to, to not. And then when he left the book, it just kind of like took on a life of its own. Well, the, the thing is, is that the Wolverine that, that Burnett always represented, and what he's representing here is a ruffian. You know, this is a guy that, yeah, he may have had some uh, Canadian Army training, but he is really just a, a roughhousing fighter who's got those claws He's not the you know three hundred year old James Howlett. He's, <clears throat> you know he's he's probably not much you know maybe like you know from World War Two or or just before that. And he's just a ruffian. He's not going to be the Jedi Master that he later becomes. You know, right, Claremont, yeah. Claremont made him a what a samurai and all that stuff. You know, samurai, just, a, a prince. A, Knight yeah. in shining armor, you know, all of these the thing, gallant gentlemen. Right, and that's not who Wolverine is. Wolverine's a psycho. He is a psychopath. And, and, and you know, Byrne recognizes that, and he's, you know, going to continue to write him as that in these stories. So be prepared for Wolverine to do some things that you're going to find unpleasant. He's an unpleasant person. Mm -hmm. But, and, and, you know, that's. That's just how it goes. And, and, and the thing is, because he is that kind of person, he's rash, and he does things that he, that he shouldn't do as a result of it. And that'll you know come to bite him in the butt as we get into further stories here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, um, of course, you know, there's as the stories intermix between the, the, the fight with the Sentinel and then the, the go back to the Greys, the sequences with the Greys are a lot of, you know, mundane art. Uh, slice of life kind of stuff whereas you get into the sentinel story and it is just you know rubble and explosions and great sound effects like I, I like Spacow on page 13 yeah <laughs> I love the grim look on Kitty's face at the bottom of page 13 too again oh, oh as she's facing into the wall yeah she's determined she's like I'm gonna get you sucker yeah and, I mean, you know, just there she is without her costume. She's still, you know, joining into the fray, which is really cool. Um, and she even talks talks and smack to the Sentinel. <laughs> yeah, I like that. that that's um, that's that, that scrappy little teenage that, that we saw in um, 129 and 130, 131 was that, yeah, I'm kind of afraid, but... Um, uh, I'm not going to let them beat me, and I'm going to... These these are my friends now, and I'm going to do what I can to stick up with them. So she's she's very, uh, very determined. <laughs> I like that. I love that. Nightcrawler teleports her. She goes, what was that? <laughs> what just happened? He goes, I teleported you out of danger. My apologies if it was uncomfortable. And she goes, and stinky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nightcrawler's definitely not not a stealth character. Um, he can't pop in someplace uh, and not be known that he's there. Well, it, and, and that was one of the other things is that he's supposed to be a stealthy character at least when he's not teleporting. Right. In fact, he becomes almost near invisible. 
in the dark, which yeah. Burns got some arguments with on, on how that, that's accomplished, but um, I like the way he did it in uh, X-Men 137 with, when, when he was trying to stay hidden from Manta. Just in the shadows, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love all the burn tech and the rubble and the Sentinels. I, I, I've always loved Burns' drawings of Sentinels more than anybody else's. He he's very he's very detailed about them and they're they are very he does a very good job with them yeah I like I like the I like the way he smoothed them out or just kind of updated them a little bit from the old the old version of Sentinels and he puts a lot of care into them they're not just a I think maybe some people it just depends on I, I guess it just depended back then on how much work they had to do how much they were getting paid how they cared but uh some of the sentinels were just like purple outlines you know with maybe a couple of drawings on the kind of make some definition but he really puts a lot of of, of definition in them so they they actually are their own character yeah and i was really disappointed with the sentinels that we got in days of future past the movie you know, because I mean, they they didn't look anything like the Sentinels that we'd seen anywhere, except maybe yeah. maybe a little bit like Nimrod. Yeah. You know, but I mean, just in, in, in certain areas of the of the way the faces were done on the later models. But I mean, it just you know they weren't Sentinels as far as I'd seen them, and they were they were just uh, wrong. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I hated I hated how they treated Colossus in Days of Future Past. You know, in in the movie. Because they really made Colossus seem weak sauce. They kept ripping them apart. Yeah. Yeah, the Sentinels in the movie, they, uh, they, they were cool in a way, but I, I, I like the way that these are drawn because they're just, I don't know. I like them. I, they're probably because they're my Sentinels or the way I grew up with them. Uh, and, uh, and, and they do kind of, they're supposed to just be these emotionless robots, but it's always funny. Like, if you look on page 14... <laughs> <laughs> the the center panel he's kind of got these little um, lines across his eyes like to show anger or something <laughs> it's kind of cool on my page 14 yeah oh okay I see what you're talking about on the center part you know like how you have the little ang- the angled lines there to kind of make it look like the, the eyes are squinting down at you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. that's, that's 15 I thought page 15 at least on my but, copy oh is it page 15 alright yeah but yeah Wait. So funny, funny stuff. Good, good characterization there. Yes. I mean, so yes. Again, on on page um, what seventeen, when they show the Sentinels down in the ground after Kitty's phased it down, and Wolverine's like, you know, he's still looking around, and in the quote, the the, the uh, panel of Burns as narrator says the Sentinel seems to almost quiver, recognizing it has become as one with the soil and the stones. And you can see the eyes. It looks like the, it looks like the eyes have been darting around, or whatever, as it's trying to figure out what to do next. Before Wolverine goes in, you just see Wolverine's hand as he's sitting there carving whatever. And then the the, the bottom three panels where the, the Sentinel's lights go out in a Terminator sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of look like it's funny the way that the the eyes are shadowed on there is like at the very final it kind of has these big like uh oh <laughs> the bottom <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh no so it gets stuck yeah it's funny 
so that was that was good. And then yeah, like you said, the uh, final page we get uh, Shaw just kind of sitting there, like all the cat just ate the canary grin, and uh, he has no no care or concern for what uh, Jairich is saying. And of course, Jairich doesn't know what he's dealing with. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I don't know why he didn't try to put a stop to an error. I, I half expected Shaw to sing, here's to swimming with bow-legged women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I did like, also liked, was the Hellfire guards behind him. You know, they're just there. And they're working, obviously. But you get no interaction from them. But that's, I think it's, it's interesting to see them. And I don't know if these are the guys that... You know, Wolverine shish kebab before, and they've been fixed up some. But, um, I mean, there's at least one, if not two, because I can't tell if that's one in the chair behind uh, Well, there's one. there's probably three. So there's one below Jairich's uh, left arm. You see him in the head there? Yeah. In that little nook. And then I think, I think that there's one in the chair there, because it definitely looks like the back of his head. Yeah. But the one that's on the, the middle panel between Shaw and Gyrich, I don't know if that's the one we've already seen or if that's another one. Uh-oh. <laughs> he's, he's apparently got some papers. Oh, there. Okay, yeah. I was looking at the yeah. panel above, yeah. But I like all the burn tech, and the, and the van itself looks cool. I think I've got a friend who's got a van like that. I always refer to it as the chariot from Lost in Space. Uh <laughs> And then, of course, you see down at the very bottom, in shadow, uh, tomorrow when I bring the Master Mold online, Project Wide Awake will be unstoppable. And they just show the Master Mold in uh, holding those two, like looks like gymnast rings. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, when I saw that, I was like, oh, ah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, and, and of course, you're sitting there thinking, man, more Sentinels, more stuff. And, and we've seen some Sentinel shots that Byrne had posted uh, in the pencil practice and we're thinking okay that's going to be coming up next anytime and then this next issue is just a complete departure <laughs> and, kind of uh, a frustrating one as a matter of fact like what <laughs> wait yeah, and, and it, up in the credits you know he goes written and drawn by John Byrne featuring characters created by Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard and so I had to sit there and search around because I wasn't familiar with, you know, Willie Evans. Mm-hmm, me neither. Uh, or, or his family. And it turns out, you know, it's from Fantastic Four, I think 204, uh, <sighs> where they, they had the story about them. And at the end of the story, you know, uh, Mr. Fantastic gives them a card for Charles Xavier and says, yeah, go, you know, this guy will help you. Your kid's a mutant. He needs, you know, help and training. And that's what this whole story that's... is about. That's right. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. See, brings that Marvel Universe together again. Cool. Yeah, and I mean, the first splash page on this one, you know, it is really good detail. It's really cool. You got, you know, Storm flying around, Cyclops blasting, Colossus and Wolverine at the forefront. And, you know, everybody's ready for battle. It looks like they're outside. And there's some giant demonic flaming thing in the sky. We see almost a skull face forming up there in this magic maelstrom of, of flame and magic. And Cyclops, of course, is trying to blast it. But I, I got to say, you know, even though the, all this is really cool and everything, I was kind of like, oh, man, 
this is not where I wanted the story to go. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you 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 travel through, and you see the X Men are, are fighting this, and of course Wolverine's you know acting without thinking as Colossus throw him into it. Come to find out, there's nothing really real there, and he just goes right through it, and then he runs into an evil doppelganger of himself. And it's bigger, it's more vicious, and, I mean, it doesn't look like him, but it looks like him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see Colossus is fighting his doppelganger, Cyclops is getting blasted by his doppelganger, and it made me wonder, was that big thing at the beginning, was that a doppelganger for Storm? I don't know. Oh, huh. Interesting. And then, of course, we get a nice cliffhanger after Cyclops gets blasted, where we go to a train station. And we're seeing a lot of Professor X, Kitty, and Cyclops. Uh, this is uh, back 15 hours before. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, picking up the Evans family as they're getting off the train. And, again, you know, some mundane art, but at the same time, very beautiful mundane art. And you get a close-up look at the X-Men's... Uh, I don't want to call it a minivan. I guess it's just a van. And it's got the special place in the back for the professor to get in and uh, everyone else to get in. And I actually made a comment on Burns' website um, about this next page, page six, where as they're driving, they're passing by Salem Center where the uh, Sentinel attacked. It's all destroyed. And Kitty is saying, oh, yeah, that was a gas main explosion. It was pretty bad. But as you can see, they have it under control. And I'm like, the professor's going to have Kitty lie to everybody on stuff like this? I mean, I I can understand, you know, the professor saying something. But just, you know, allowing one of his other people to lie to maintain the story or or recover or whatever. You know, like like this. It should have been the professor, not Kitty. That's just mm-hmm. that was that was just my grape. You're asking her to lie, especially yeah. when she's a teenager. Yeah. I I do like the way that Byrne draws the Evans the Evans family. Uh, even you know from the from page five, page six, uh, Willie, and and they're fully realized characters. They don't look like any kind of stock character that Byrne's done over the years. They 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 look like real people. Yeah, he he t- he. They're as much a part of the story and it, and deserving of the attention as all of the other characters. And, and you know, I forgot to mention that in the second issue, the very first page was a page of a bunch of people at Salem Center looking at the Sentinels that was attacking, and it reminded me very much of the Mesmero issue back in the you know when they were doing when they were, when he and Claremont were working together, you know, at the circus where you saw all those people mm-hmm. on a splash page, and every one of them was a different person, a different character. You can literally see that they were all differentiated as well these characters were at the in the first page of issue two and then yeah. getting that of course with the evans family and burn is really you know taking time to put to push as much detail into the pages now you know as he can and he's making it very tight um as the family you know the evans family comes to the mansion and the professor takes them on a tour down to the danger room level and finally <laughs> introduces them to the X-Men. Crazy. Yeah, and, and there's Kitty. She went, she went and did a quick change. Oh, yeah, they all did. Cyclops, too. Yeah, that's and, funny. Mm-hmm. 
See you a bit, Billy. You notice Colossus's face is different from what we've been seeing in the previous issues. Sometimes he's looked like Peter Parker. Other times he looks like someone I don't recognize. And here I don't like Superman. But here I don't recognize that face that he's drawn there. Yeah, I, um, Byrne is, 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 is he's, struggling with finding a face for Peter. Yeah, he's trying to figure out what's going to work best for him in this. Yeah. And now, trying to keep the hairline that shows up when he becomes Colossus, but yet, you know, still it's human looking. Yeah. Of course, our, our next page we see uh, as we go to the bustling streets of Manhattan. Another woman in a stretched skirt walking apparently very fast he loves to draw that he just loves to and Nightcrawler in his uh, with the image going on and he's trying to climb up the side of the building and he gets interrupted by none other than Spider-Man Spider-Man <laughs> very nice little uh, uh, character just a bit in the Marvel Universe here yep just another little like hey this is where we are <laughs> and so this is going to happen every day. And, uh, of course, you know, he says goodbye to Spider-Man. Spider-Man makes a comment, you know, when he says he's here to see his girlfriend. And Spider-Man is like, you have a girlfriend? I thought that was a horrible thing to say out loud, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Nightcrawler didn't seem to think any anything of it. And then, you know, of course, Nightcrawler uh, sneaks into the window and sees Amanda Sefton just in time for something to explode inward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's... I, I, I don't know if they, they said definitively what happened to Amanda in all this. And I hope that they didn't... That he didn't kill her in this. But it looks pretty vicious, whatever it was that happened. It does. And um, I don't recall that we've... Of course, we're not finished with the story. So Amanda might show up later or we'll we'll deal with that later. Uh, I imagine that she's in, in, insignificant. Either she's dead or she's not. They don't care. She's not a mutant. She's a magic user. So, um, yeah, they're probably just like, well, we just came for Nightcrawler. So once we got him, everyone else is on their own that are alive. Yeah. And so we go back to the X-Mansion, and, uh, and Willie's parents are uh, in, in one of the rooms they've given to him and are discussing their plight and you know what's you know going on with Willie, and then all of a sudden, as, as the X Men are down, are they in the kitchen or are they in the, no? They're in a study, and they're still in costume. They're still in uniform. Um. And uh, Willie's mother comes in and says, "You know something's going on with my husband." Of course, in the panel right above that, we see Willie with glowing eyes. You know, which uh, if I remember right from the Fantastic Four, you you got you saw that effect on him whenever his powers were being used. And the professor says, yeah, we got something going on that's hitting the perimeter. We need to deal with this first and send Cyclops and them out with the Stratojet. And that's, you know, basically takes us to where we were at the beginning of the uh, issue. Yeah, I kind of liked how he just kind of did that little back and forth. That was all right. Uh, Nice little change of way to tell the story. And the, the more that you're mentioned it that might be Storm's av- uh, doppelganger there I think it's hard to tell because it's not colored but I could just see all of that as being white hair now instead of yeah uh, something and, else and, uh, you know looking like it's affecting the weather around them with everything that's going on yeah. 
Um, that's that's what I thought because it looks like the 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 stratojet got struck by lightning on page yeah. twelve. Plus, she says it it's alive with storm energies. Yep. So, yeah. And she tried to tried to contain him unsuccessfully. Yeah. But she crashed the stratojet, though everybody survived. And then we go back and we see um, the y- uh, Professor X and Kitty and uh, Mrs. Evans uh, going to check on Mr. Evans. And he says he feels like his head's in a blender. Um, they, and, of course, they're worried about Willie, like he's in great danger. And so Professor sends Kitty to the next room to find out what's going on. She goes to the wall and she comes back saying he's stiff as a board. And as you, you get kind of a history of what went on there, you see that, um, that this guy was also in some sort of experiment during the war. It reminds me of the, the, the Man with the Power uh, story in Fantastic Four, where they set off a nuclear bomb and he got powers as a result of it. Do you remember that? that story. I do. That was up towards the end of his run there, wasn't it? No, no. It was at the very beginning. It was the issue just before <clears throat> Ego. Oh, okay. Living Planet. Okay. And, um, but yeah, I, I wonder if they're, if they were at the same explosion, you know, the, the, Ooh, the that would the be interesting. Test. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, you'd have to ask Mark, Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard about that. Um, and so he gets his power. He fights the Fantastic Four with, again, evil doppelgangers of themselves. And um, so the professor's like, uh, you know, it's like, I think we may have what's, we, we may know what's going on here. And he figures out that there's a link between Willie and his father. Mm-hmm. And is somehow able to get into that and stop the attack uh, telepathically. And, yeah. of course, a lot of these pages invoke Neil Adams or even invoke the, the Psy War issue uh, where Professor went up against Amal Farouk. Yeah, yeah, it is very good stuff, especially the recap page where it shows half of Professor X's head and the Fantastic Four battling themselves. Uh, that's very Neil Adams style, you know, with Byrne's own style. I mean, it's just such a great way to tell the story. I see a little bit of Cochrane there, too, in um, Xavier's face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely so. But when you go to uh, page 17, uh, Xavier looks, that looks so Neil Adams-y there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, that little thing that's that's separating the, the top half and the bottom half of the page reminds me of Cywar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, yeah, um, uh, also when they were fighting the fighting the Znox aliens, okay. yeah, back back in the '60s of the original series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good but, stuff. And, and of course, you know, the professor does what he needs to wakes Willie up, and then the the monsters themselves start breaking up, and Cyclops is able to get rid of the last two with a with an optic blast. Um. And then this is the part that kind of made me go, hmm. So before you, before you go on, uh, where where the, the Cyclops gets rid of the last two, look down at the lower left at Peter's face. Now that's Peter's face that I remember. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Peter and Storm looking very much as they did. Yeah. Cyclops really 
look in the way he did then. Wolverine, mm, there's a bit of of uh, burn, but there's also a little almost Todd McFarlane influence. Yeah, I, I can see the McFarlane stuff there. The spot is very Spanish. And I know that 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 burn has no influence from Todd McFarlane. There, there yeah. isn't. It's just that's what it makes me think of. That's what it makes us think of. Yeah. So what were you going to say? I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, on the next page, you know, as, as they're basically sending the Evans family away, they basically rearrange their minds to the uh, to the events, but they're just going to let them go back home with, with, with all this. They, they, he doesn't say anything like, oh, the power's spent, or it's never going to happen again, or, or whatever. It's just, no, nah, we can't do anything for them, and let them go on their way. Yeah, that, yeah, like, my school has nothing to offer your son. What? This, yeah, exactly. I mean, did he rearrange their memories of the Fantastic Four encounter as well? Because otherwise, there'd be like, wait a second, Reed Richards told us to see you because our son has this this thing going on. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird that they just kind of sent him off like that. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, so he edited their memories to remove what happened the day before. And so Kitty doesn't look it, very pleased about that. And he says it's for their own good, yes. Yeah. It's not the first time, Kitty. Sometimes good people and bad need to be made to forget the X-Men. It's not yeah. something I do casually, I assure you. That's a conversation with her and Scott and the professor. Mm-hmm. And now we know Cerebro didn't detect Willie because his power was split between him and his dad. So they, that's why they didn't detect him. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. That and doesn't either. They, they says, yes, making them a unique case. I'll have to adjust Cerebro's interactive circuits in case something like this occurs again. And that's all we get. Yeah. Well. And there's a little foreshadowing by seeing the Sentinel's uh, face with the police tape over it. <laughs> no, don't don't cross. <laughs> and then the the epilogue, of course, is at the Gray's house, where Jean is uh, freaked out because a bottle fell through her hand. You know that's kind of strange because she's never had that power before. So that would be it, um, figuring out what he what he's trying to do with that. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that that phasing somehow seems to be something that's going on and of course what happened with that bird yeah so i mean there's it's it 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 all leads to something sonic or or tele you know telekinetic yeah um but that she's able to rearrange things but we'll see next issue wide awake wide awake now we get the wide awake (laughs) Okay. It's almost like way back when we were kids reading and, you know, you're right in the middle of a three-part story and you got the second story and then all of a sudden they were behind schedule so they had to insert one of the ones out of a drawer as a fill-in and you're like, what? Wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't stand that. <laughs> so, so this story, of course, it's uh, got a, a number of things going on and uh, it first starts off with... Uh, you know, with Lalandra and Gladiator and Iraqi, and, and Gladiator and Iraqi are talking about what Lalandra's doing, and um, they they basically go to find out what she's doing, and she says basically, you know, I would have made it, you know, if I intended for you to know, I would have made you well aware. 
and uh, then we go and we see Muir Island in one of the greatest single page, splash pages. I just look at that and I'm I'm amazed at what he's drawn there because that like, is a phenomenal splash page. Yeah, because you get the Muir Island facility on the rocks, yeah. and yeah. It, it it in and of itself is really cool. But you've got the storm, you've got the the the, the waves you know hitting up, smashing up against the rocks there. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And uh, I want to take you back to the previous page mm-hmm. there uh, with Gladiator. So Gladiator is the devoted uh, warrior. He, he's the military guy that will follow the orders. But he's also not one that is not without questioning. I mean, he, he will see if the, allure, the order is lawful. But so, like, I like how... Burn has you can see the concern on Gladiator's face. Like I don't think this is a good idea, and I'm, I'm questioning whether or not the Empress is making the right decision here. Um, but yeah, at least that's how I'm interpreting it. too, you know, I and mean, he's also questioning it. And, and her, she seems to be at this point very, very driven. Yeah. As he says, her words, her demeanor are cold and aloof. Not at all those of the girl Iraqi has known all of her life. So it's obvious that even though she isn't inhabited by the Phoenix power, it is having almost a uh, uh, one-ring effect on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can invoke Tolkien here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and g- given the given what's happened, you know, she, she, she's she's that girl that he knew has now grown up to have to embrace being an empress and sometimes you have to be cold to be in that role so she's definitely done it but there might be some other influences there like you said interesting okay so yeah i love muir island i wish i always love stories that were set on muir island (laughs) it's always cool well Uh, i mean my only experience there is from of course uh you know in the x-men the proteus saga I, yeah. I mean, I don't recall any, you know, any other stories that took place on Muir Island. No, there's not. But I always loved when they get referenced. So, like when we talked about the the Marvel team up story with Havoc, I mean, that started at Muir Island, where Havoc was uh, kidnapped by the Living Pharaoh from there. So, and Madrox and stuff. So, I always kind of like when we get to this aspect of it, because it just brings out a whole different part of the X-Men, which is Moria and the studies and Banshee and we get Banshee and then at the time we got Havoc and Polaris back into the story in some way, so, because I like those characters and I kind of miss them whenever they weren't part of the X-Men stories. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, moving on. All of a sudden I've lost my place. Ah, there we go. There we are. Okay, so page, page four or so. Yeah, we're on page four. Of course, it's, again, you know, we've we've talked a number of times about how the the work looks very Neil Adams. That shot of Banshee's face is that's just so Neil Adams. Of course, he's got the turtleneck on, uh, the full quaff of hair, and um, I mean that that looks like uh, what what's what's the actor's name? Leaf Garrett. <sighs> what he should look like older with hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very I, good I, shot there. Yeah, and of course, you know, the him going through the Muir Island facility with no power, and he's walking around it um, with a flashlight, 
trying to find Mora, and he comes across her. And you can see that Mora looks really stressed. But just the detail on her face in that bottom right-hand corner is is amazing. And, you know, she her head snaps real quick, and her hair is, of course, you know, um, moving as, as she's sitting there turning her head. Mm-hmm. And then we realize, oh, crap, it's the Sentinels. Yeah. And you can see there's, what, three Sentinels there? The one coming in with the light, oh, which yep. evokes the Days of Future Past image where they killed Franklin Richard, but nobody gets killed here, thank God. Yeah. And then Banshee, oh, Banshee, trying to scream, and, you know, it's it's not quite as bad as it was in the Alpha Flight issue, where he's like, yark, but uh, <laughs> you can tell that really, really caused him some, some pain. And the Sentinel punches Moira. A huge Sentinel hand punches Moira. Yeah. As, as the other Sentinel takes Banshee. And that was that was pretty, and if she survived that, yeah, that but just shows you how tough she hurting. is. <laughs> but you, you know, know she's, she's hurting. hurting, yeah, yeah. And then uh, we see us, we get a little interlude a mile away, and um, it's uh, Lorna Dane and Alex Summers, Cyclops' brother, otherwise known as Havoc and Polaris. Uh, she heard something. She said, "Sound like Terry Metal." And as they're getting dressed and they look out the door, they see one of my favorite scenes in the entire book is the Sentinel walking towards their little cottage. Yeah, surrender. lightning striking behind it. Surrender, mutants. That's just amazing. And then, of course, you know, he shuts the door. Yeah, I like that. The next panel. (laughs) Shut the door. Hey, let's go. (laughs) And they're trying to get away, but the Sentinel just tears the cottage apart. And you can see Alex trying to use his power against the Sentinel, and then all all of a sudden we uh, go to half a world away, where something, a gigantic rock thing, is fighting multiple Sentinels and winning. Yeah. It's what, one, two, three, four, five... I see at least I count five, five as well. Yeah. And one of them, the head, just the head, is all we see on the ground. <laughs> I don't know if it's separated from the rest of it or if it's buried or whatever, but oh man, you can kind of see the rock face there by the other sentinel's arm. It's so funny. You know what we need to do? We need to have somebody make a rock'em sock'em robots with sentinels. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. But the Sentinels, you know, they, they of course, have an analysis. They can't detect them. Uh, they cannot defeat the menace by direct assault. And so they're trying to find the mutant source and realize it's coming from a little cabin not too far away. Uh, and this this page got a lot of comments from people that fussed a little bit that the Sentinel that they show in the foreground has lips. Because usually when Byrne draws Sentinels and they're talking, you see like the mechanical stuff that's inside the the mouth right. opening, but yeah. you don't normally see the lips. And these are very pronounced lips. I mean, these are almost like Rocky Horror Picture Show lips, <laughs> or those oh, wax yeah. lips that you buy at the store around yeah, Halloween it's like time. Those old yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, that is interesting because if you look on the one that attacked Lorna and Alex, well, I guess there are lips there. It's just his mouth is really open. Yeah, but that's what you're typically accustomed to seeing you're not accustomed to seeing lips yeah and so that that had a lot of you know discussion just but an opening if you go back and look at sentinels over the ages they had lips they yeah did. they did 
this is just one of those moments where it's so prevalent that you're just like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Why? Why do they have lips? Why does the chicken have a gizzard? Because <laughs> it doesn't have teeth. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you know. Yeah. Got to. So here we are getting this <laughs> cabin all torn to pieces, and we find a woman and her child. One yeah. human, one mutant. One human, one mutant. Yeah, and um, gosh, and, and again, you, you know, these characters look like nobody we've ever seen, but they look like real people. Yeah. Uh, especially the boy. I mean, he just wow. Actually, he reminds look, me of my nephew. And he looks like a child. He doesn't look like just a small version of a adult head, like sometimes. Like a homunculus. Yeah. Yeah. This is what Vern used to have a tendency to draw, especially like Franklin Richards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely to tone that skill better. And then that next page, the Sentinel's hand coming in, and that is just so. It. I mean, it. It, it made me think of um, War of the Gargantuas. Uh, oh yeah. Gargantuas' yeah. giant hand would come in and grab somebody. Yeah. So much better but, special effects. But got kaboomed. Yeah, bakoomed. Or bakoomed. Bakoomed, <laughs> yes. And uh, you know, at the bottom, you can see the rocks just sitting there waylaying that one sentinel. And I, I hadn't noticed that until just now looking at this, how that one was getting just completely smashed. Yeah, so here we are. We have a new mutant introduced. Yeah, the they, second... Still, you, you've got a question as to who the mutant is. The boy himself seems very, very young. Mutant yeah. powers aren't supposed to really kick in until puberty. Right. I'm just and, saying we have we have a new mutant, a new a new character perchance because I don't recall these from anywhere. Of course, I didn't recall Willie until you reminded me, but at least we knew that Willie was from somewhere before. Yeah. Oh, and I should have known because it was in the story, so I just forgot since we since right. I read it. But you yeah. know, again with this story here, you don't know where this power is coming from. Is it coming from her? Is it coming from the boy? Yeah. Because the boy seems to have checked out. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the X Men pull up and and uh, in their jeep, and uh, I like you know Colossus gets out and just goes armor up, and his clothes just shredding around him. <laughs> yeah, I, and I like uh, Kitty's all decked out in her Western attire. She's like, yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty stupid. I mean, Logan's is Logan's hat, and it looks normal, but yeah, at least he's not wearing riding pants. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then there we go. The car, their Jeep, comes to life. And I, I'm sorry, it looks like uh, the car from Akira when the little kids made the car come to life at, uh, and, and trying to play with Tetsuo. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. No, but yeah, I can see it. It kind of reminds me of a, a Speed Racer way back when. Mm. You know, that's it's funny that you bring up Speed Racer and all this. Because, you know, as I was reading these, uh, as he was, he was sitting there doing that day by day, I felt like a little kid again. I felt like that 12, 13, 14-year-old boy that was reading those X-Men cartoons. Um, it made me want to go out and buy a big bag of Doritos, a huge Mountain Dew Big Gulp, and a package of Ding Dongs. Because that's how I'd read my comics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the reason why you know, Speed Racers, funny thing is that is that I I don't get that kid feeling that often, and I did get that kid feeling watching 
the Speed Racer movie that the Wachowskis did. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but what they gave to it, you could tell there was a de- definite love for the material, and they paid so much um, tribute to the way that show was done, the good things and the bad things, you know, the yeah. mission lines and, and everything about it, the way Pops fights and the way, you know, the people did talked in these long run-on statements that just, you know, it was a perfect revisioning of Speed Racer, you know, yeah. for, 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 you know, when I was five years old watching that and then when I was there at 40 years old watching that, I was like, okay, this is, yeah, it made me feel like a little kid. I wanted to sit there and dangle my feet eating a bowl of ice cream while watching it. You know, it just, <laughs> yeah, made me feel like a kid. And yeah. these these made me feel like a kid, too. And not every one of them, not every scene, but there were some things in there that just really, you know, hit and, yeah. and made me go back in time. And for me, it just made me remember the good times I had reading the stories. And I actually misspoke. I wasn't, I said Speed Racer, but I actually meant Wheelie. From Wheelie and the Chopper Wheelie Bunch. The Chopper Bunch, and yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to get together with Scott Gardner and do an episode on that sometime. About Wheelie. Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. One of the issues he did that. So. I remember the cartoons. I never got any of the comics because they were Charlton, and I hardly ever saw them on the stands. But. I've got digital ones. I don't have any. Physical Ooh. Ones. Cool. 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 Anyway, so Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch goes to attack the Professor and Kitty. <clears throat> and doesn't last long because Colossus makes very short work of it. <laughs> yes. Colossus has just been kicking butt in all this. Recently. He has. Yeah. Doing some good stuff there. But then we see the Sentinel. Scanning confirmed. X-Men Code and Colossus. Initiating termination sequence. Man, every time I see that after Days of Future Past, I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to see that. Right. <laughs> I could just see him with that post through his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so Wolverine, of course, and again, one of the great, on page 13, one of the great Wolverine shots, there he is in the his cowboy hat, street clothes, and rage as he sits there yelling Petey look out yep and the fear on the woman's face of course you know she's you know holding her son there I mean the woman is just like cognizant of everything that's going on scared but at least she's keeping her crap together mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's interesting but Wolverine of course goes after the Sentinels but finds out it's got still got force fields like the other ones the other one and now we go back to the Gray's house. And Scott, you know, having to leave. What's well, Scott and Storm, right? Yes, that's Storm. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that we've talked about before, but I'll bring up here because you can you can definitely see it uh, from these panels, is that <laughs> the house that they're in is the house that was used for Bewitched. Yes, it is. <laughs> Darren and Samantha Stevens in the, in the Bewitched TV series. Yeah. Um, and Byrne you know, got, I, I don't know how, I mean, if he just got the detail of it from watching the show, or if, you know, if he had to go and find pictures of it or whatever, but uh, he represents it really good. And in fact, at one point, I think they had a character that came, came over that reminded me of Gladys Kravitz, you know? 
think I think there was. Was that in the the Phoenix saga, or did that come out somewhere else? Maybe it was in here. I, I'm not exactly sure, and I'm gonna have to have to look that up because yeah. because you know now it's gonna bug me. Yeah. But, but it's definitely fun as we go through. Like when they walk in the front door, you got the little stand there with the picture. Uh, with stairs that go up the way that they do right from you know when you walk into Darren's house. It's it's really neat. That's a nice homage. Yeah. Now this right here starts uh, part of the subplot where we see that something's going on with the Greys. Gather. Yeah, that we're, we're, they're not necessarily sharing everything with the X-Men. That they're maybe not agreeing with the X-Men at this point. And uh, they they want to uh, to stand off from them. Yeah. Yeah. They're keeping secrets. Well, yeah. They're they're just like this is this is this is this. You know, they feel like they've been betrayed. I think they turned turned her over to Xavier as a as a teenager herself, thinking, "Yeah, yeah that would be the best thing." And then uh, well, they, they don't know, know that in another they reality, didn't know she's that Jean dead. was a mutant. They didn't know she had these powers. <clears throat> right. All they knew is that is that Xavier comes in and says she's a gifted youngster. I want her to come to my school, where you know we can you know prepare her for the world. Now he doesn't say from what. Yeah. They thought she was going to a prep school, and then yep. come to find out she's a mutant. Um, she's been out to space, and that she was lobotomized by aliens. You know, yep. and they're going to blame Xavier for that. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, she ultimately says, you know, before having her mind destroyed, I can't take it anymore. I don't want her to have anything more to do with the X Men. And that was yep. uh, page fifteen. Yeah, and, and there's Jean. Yeah. And, and, and Jean heard this. She was upstairs in her room, but she still heard it. Uh, and, of course, that spurs on other parts of plot. Plot events are going to go on down in the future. Yeah. Um, now, of course, uh, we, we go back to the desert where the fight is going on between the X-Men and the Sentinels. And uh, Kitty's still in that ridiculous hat. And the professor, who is not in his wheelchair, he's on the ground. And... Uh, Professor Xavier thinks he's figured out what's going on here, and so he goes and does an astral, telekinet, uh, telepathic um, meeting of the minds with mm-hmm. uh, the little boy. Uh, and th- I, I, I'll take some issue with this myself. Um, uh, as, as many of you know, I'm married into a Latino family. Uh, my wife is is full-blooded Mexican woman, and um, her her family all comes from Mexico by way of Spain. And the name Pablo is not a very uh, popular name these days. Pablo is basically the the Mexican version of Paul. And okay. um, I, I mean, it's just it, it's not a, a popular name. It's not really used a lot. And and the fact is, is that if her son and, and basically this is a kid that's been as she thought autistic for a good period of time and never recognized or even said a word to her and in this moment he looks at her and says mama and she goes Pablo it, it, more than likely she would have said mijo uh, okay. which is which is you know it's the masculine mm-hmm. of my child you know yeah and very affectionate right yeah it's, it's term of affection and so I you know again this is just as I've read the the sequences in, involving this 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 these people, uh, 
I, I see, you know, it's like his, that his exposure to that culture is probably a lot less than uh, than you'd hope. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's just, you know, being entrenched in it for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, again, what do I know? <laughs> again, yeah. I don't know that it says, it's, it, is that it's like that as you go up, you know, to New York and those other, up northeast or whatever. Again, you're going to have more... Uh, Puerto Rican contingent up there. I mean, there's a good Puerto Rican contingent here, but not as big as it is up in New York. And then this looks like it's out west in um, Arizona or someplace mm-hmm. that uh, that they actually went to, or New Mexico, where you're going to have a very strong Mexican contingent. Very, uh, yeah, Mexican influence and culture, cultural expressions, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Uh, anyway. That being said. Uh, he's able to, to break through, and all of a sudden the car stops fighting Colossus. Um, it lost. <laughs> yeah, but the Sentinel's still busy, but Colossus figures out, hey, you know, while he's got these uh, force fields, I can still rip the arm off by grabbing the force field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once uh, that happens, the uh, Sentinels are like, uh, hey, uh, we've got a problem, and they all retreat. And so there's what three, three remaining sentinels that are actually think, able to get away. Yeah, there's three, and we had counted five before. So, and one of them was already down. So one of them didn't make it somehow. Oh yeah, and oh Peter had even pulled off the leg. Oh, so he did. So, yeah, of that sentinel. That was that was pretty cool. Or he started to, because it looks like the bottom sentinel without the, the arm is uh, kind of got his leg there, but it's kind of sort of attached. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. he was really pulling that thing apart. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> and then, um, as we see on the next page, Colossus, for whatever reason, thinks he's going to help restore the home by lifting it up, in which case it crumbles under its own weight. Yeah. And destroys the house. And it was a it was a very stupid moment for Peter, but I guess he was due. He he kinda thought that he was actually in a comic book where you can pick up an entire house like that and it's just gonna stay together. <laughs> Under its own weight, yeah. And then of course Kitty's like, Oh don't worry, man, Charles Xavier's rich enough to take care of all this. <laughs> Boy, yeah, you know, there's so many rich people in the Marvel universe, you know, the Charles Xavier, Tony Stark and such, and they just they'll take care of anything. Just but, write a check. Xavier doesn't just, you know, decide to pay to take care of that. He decides, and her name is Abascal, which I have never, ever heard that. Abascal. Anywhere. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I can Google it and see where the name originates. I'm sure it's, you know, Mexican or South, South American name, but I've never, ever heard that. But uh, he's like, yeah, I'm reading your mind that you work as a domestic housekeeper. Presently, we have need of exactly that, if you don't mind moving to Westchester County. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, I mean, is it, is it patronizing? Is it insulting? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe knowing that she's a proudful woman, she wouldn't want to take charity. I, I don't know. But she does. Uh, maybe, maybe it is. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the next page, the last page... Uh, page 20 here. Elsewhere, wow. you see Nightcrawler trussed up, uh, almost, um, uh, what you call it? Hello. 
uh, crucified, almost crucified. Oh yeah, crucified. Yeah, uh, and but I'm just know, looking at his legs and everything. Wow, he's just really uh, that does not look comfortable. Yeah, and uh, he wakes up and he's trying to figure out where he is, and there is you know Henry Peter Garich. Um, and, and Nightcrawler is asking where's where's Amanda, and Garish, uh, no Shaw says she's no concern to you and won't be ever again. Now is that because he doesn't think Nightcrawler's going to escape or because she's dead? <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I know. I'm hoping that it's just because he's like, yeah, we've got you. You're never gonna have to. You're never getting out of this. Yeah, and uh, God, that's just such a gorgeous shot of Nightcrawler, you know, profile there. And the hair, just everything about this page is, is, yeah. is really, really well done. And of course, that look at, at Shaw with the um, now, who is that behind him? Is that that's Banshee, Alex, and Lorna? Yeah, being carted in by another Sentinel. Yeah, and that shot of Shaw's face is just amazing. It's, it's and, evil, man. <laughs> and the bottom there says next, call his name Magneto. Or like, and I was like. What? Wait! <laughs> yep, you can't but, do this to me. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that the way Byrne was doing this is he was putting out a page a day on weekdays. Yeah. But he was, you know, the thing is, most of the books were twenty pages each, and so that meant that he could get them out in, you know, in a month. Uh, yeah, in a, in a month, and so you know he timed it so by you know, okay, this Monday would be the first page. And so that Friday would be the last page. And so the thing is, sometimes you would skip a week, have to wait a week or whatever for him to, to start one or, you know, as, as another one got finished. So you would get a delay. And right. He would always like, start on the first Monday of the month, right. not on the first of the month. It was whatever the first Monday was. So if the last day of the month here was on the uh 29th and there was 31 days and so that means the next Monday was on the 31st day that means you had to wait an entire week because the first Monday of the month was going to be the what the 6th of the next month or something right, like right. this time <laughs> right exactly and that's that's you know, where we're at right now yeah and we but he actually gave us a month uh, he took a month off uh, not not from actually doing the work but uh, posting the pages up because he had some catching up to do, and he's still actually doing some catching up because he had to move story elements around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think we're going to break here today. That's uh, a good idea. Four issues and halfway we'll through. Up, yeah, we'll pick up uh, later and 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 get through the other issues. Maybe we can get you know Tim or David or or you know someone else that wants to join us to uh, to discuss further pages if you've read them. And so uh, you know we're, we're opening the. Uh, the thing for experienced podcasters to uh, to join us on this from the from the network, um, but uh, this has been a lot of fun. And of course, going over it with somebody and talking about the individual pages, you know, the various pages and various art, especially like this last page here, where you've got a combination of the facial stuff that Burn does so well, the Burn tech, like there, the panel right there by Guyrich, and then that that harness thing he's got Nightcrawler in, which seems to be something that Burn. Uh, you know, has done a bit of like they use the cages and the Hellfire Club and yeah, yeah, and whatnot. But this is, I mean, again, it's it's everything that you're looking for in Burns art it is beautiful. It's really fantastic, and, and we, we pacing is going good too. Yeah, we found a few little things that that we have questions about, things that we don't understand, and 
when you look at this, the one thing you realize that he doesn't have is an editor. He doesn't have an editor coming back and saying, wait, well, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. Um, you will, from time to time in the pages, find that um, there may be a misspelling or a miswording or, or something that, that was mm-hmm. accidentally left out. But this is these are things that would be fixed by an editor in production. And he's doing everything himself. He's pulling the lettering from a, a pool of lettering that he's got from a very specific letterer. And uh, they're really good. So, I, you know, I've got no complaints. Um, the positives on all this, and this is something that we don't talk about typically, is that Byrne is so cognizant of the panels, the art, and how he wants the art to tell the story that he's very careful about the placement of the word balloons. And that's something you should be cognizant of. If you go back and you read the uh, X-Men story that he did with Claremont, there were times when the word balloons would take up almost the entire page of the art, except for a character. Yeah, we talked about that when we were discussing the Dark Phoenix saga, how sometimes the word balloons were just filled with too much text or they were kind of strangely placed. You're like, why was it there or whatever? So, yeah, this... This is really helping to just enhance and let the art do a bulk of the story, and then the words are just kind of enhancing or filling in, you know, the details of things, such as dialogue details, which is really nice. And and you know what? There's oh, there's very few um, editor boxes in there, so that's nice. Yes, and now the, I mean, the thing is, I always like the editorial boxes. Um, oh, I do too. <laughs> that, that, told, that would tell you go look at this book or go look at that book if you wanted to find out about you know what happened. Right now, whenever something goes on like that, we have to sit there and do a lot of research to figure out where that happened. And you're talking over 50 years of, of material to possibly have to look through. Yeah. Now, um, the other thing that uh, you should know, if you have not looked at these before, and you're looking at them on the website. Uh, you go to the, you know burnrobotics.com and you click on the forum. You'll see that one uh, that there's a section there for fan fiction, and that's where he's got you know all these stories in is in the fan fiction section, and in there is each issue as a locked uh, a locked uh, discussion, and then an open discussion for comments. And so as each page came out, people would sit there and come in and comment. And you'll see 25, 35 pages of discussion on each issue. And he is sitting there giving all the stuff that's going on in the background. All, you know, as they're asking questions, he's telling you how he did this, how he did that, how he came up with this, how he came up with that, why he did certain things. And you're actually getting a master class in how a comic book should be put together. Mm-hmm. Not how they are being put together, but how they should be. Because, I mean, he's just, of course, crafting something that's wonderful here. The The biggest benefit to him right now by not publishing it at Marvel is that he doesn't have anybody sitting there telling him, you can't do that, you can't use this character, you can't use that character. Everything is, is just what he wants to write and draw. And it's allowing him a freedom that he's never really experienced before. Yeah. Now he's going to do up to I think twenty issues. I've I've kind of heard that mentioned here and there too. So 
but I don't know what's going to happen after that. If he's going to have any juice left in him to do something else. If he's going to get another muse to do something else. Right now, he's not... This is the only thing he feels like drawing. The only thing yeah. he wants to draw. And so, you know, I'm glad that he's doing it. I'm, Me you know, too. I'm pleased to be, you know, take a look at this every day and see it build and and turn into something that's that's really wonderful. And it's the X-Men I wish I had. But um, it is what it is. And, and uh, we'll, of course, you know, continue on, do some more issues uh, on, the, on the next episode. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, really, we're just trying to give you something to look at, listen to, and read uh, while you're, you know, you're stuck at home right now. I, I hope everybody is staying in and being safe. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, John, we'll do you have any this. final words on, on what we've covered so far today? No, just that it is bringing back an excitement to this like I had in that time. So it's just really cool to see. I'm, I'm so thankful that he's doing this. I'm thankful for all the work that he's putting into it and, and all of the work that others are putting into it to pencil, to color, to uh, do their expressions with it, which is really nice. It's great to see the, the posts of people that are posting inked pages as well as colored. And just, I would love to see these fully inked and, and colored at some point. It would be really great to have them all collected. So I just appreciate that he's doing this, and I hope he keeps bringing on some good stories. I'm looking forward to what he's going to, what directions he's taking. Yeah, there's sometimes I'm like, no, why did you do that? But hey, that's what reading comic books is all about. It's it's what's in his head. And, and I just hope people don't nitpick too much and and become those types of people that are just too crabby about certain things because you know it's just just enjoy it is and i'm really looking forward to and, and as as much as as you know we of course you know raised questions about things and pointed out stuff you know that's not detracting from the enjoyment of it all uh, exactly i mean, I mean I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've so enjoyed this and you know I, i'm gonna point out things because that's just in my nature to do that that doesn't mean i don't like it and yeah I hope, and I hope that's not what thinks that, i'm taking shots at it oh no that's not what i'm referring to but there are some fans that have taken some pretty nasty shots so that's that's the thing that i'm talking about i like you know don't don't nitty-gritty too much but yeah it, you know you point out things like you know the lips on a sentinel it's just like okay yeah why do sentinels need lips but yeah they've always had them because that's just the way they've always been since the 60s <laughs> it's crazy now it's a lot of fun do you recall the name of the guy on burn victims that has been turning these into cbrs oh steve wilcox well steve wilcox is the one he's the guy that manages the the, the group oh i and thought he was the one, the one doing posts, it he posts the page day after day but somebody else has actually been taking mm. uh, the individual pages and turning them into um, the CBRs. Um, uh, then, then I don't know who does that. I appreciate it. I just thought it was Steve Wilcox doing that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure who's doing it. I appreciate it. Yeah, now uh, Scott Barnett, of course, he's been inking the pages and putting them up on, on Burn Victims, which is really cool. But... Uh, I still, yeah, I definitely want to see the pencil pages first. Yes. Before I see the inked attempts. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there doing some, you know, attempts at the inking and even coloring. Paul DeBetta um, has been doing some inking and coloring of the very first 
Uh, no, okay, he's he's coloring it off of the inks by Scott Barnett. So Paul DeBet has been doing the coloring of that. And some of his choices are a little weird, but uh, <laughs> of, of the coloring using pink and fuchsia um, around Wolverine when he's sniffing the the foliage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I, I like I like seeing the pencils too. And you're right; they are getting a little more less rough as the pages went on. So that that's nice to see. Almost like an almost ink ink book. So, but it's interesting to see all of the <clears throat> the lines, the perspective lines. You know, the behind the scenes type of how comic book is made. So that's all cool stuff as well. All right. You got anything else to, to state? No, that's it. I'm looking forward to issue 10 coming out and, and uh, starting on that. And uh, until then, I've just been enjoying going back through this and kind of going through. Uh, it's been a great been a great story. Yes, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it uh, the entire time and can't wait for you know what's coming up this week. Uh, I'm going to try and get this out as quickly as I can, and I'm going to try and make sure there are plenty of links on the uh, Two True Freaks webpage so that you can get not only to Burn Robotics, but maybe possibly to the uh, the CBRs and such so you can get yeah. those and Excellent. be able to read them at your leisure on your tablet or phone. Thanks uh, for doing that. Yeah, now, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, you can respond to any of the fake Facebook postings that we do about this episode, or you can email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Um, of course, we're also on Twitter, and, I, I mean, but Gene Hendricks is handling that. I, I don't even know what our Twitter handle is right now. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll post all that with, of course, uh, the the posting once we actually put it out on the website. And, of course, it'll be available on I, uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it today. And now there, of course, you have the uh, option, of course, to write a review of our show. And if somebody could give a new review, our, our, our reviews on there, that are, we've got four on there right now. Uh, and one of them is David, and one of them is John. And we did have one from Gene Hendricks, but it, it fell off for some reason. Hmm. But uh, we could we could use some new reviews. And, of course, the more reviews you get on, on iTunes, the more exposure you get. Uh, you know, it, it lets more people know, hey, this podcast is here. You might like it. So, yeah, it shows up more on, on searches. Yeah, so, you know, please go out to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you love about the show. Tell us what you don't like about the show. Just whatever you can. Uh, anyway, uh, that, I think, is all that we've got for right now. We'll uh, get back to you really quick with the next uh, five issues. And uh, just everybody stay safe. Stay inside. got to go outside, see if you can get a mask. Just please, please be careful during these uh, troubled times. Be safe and healthy. For Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm John Hyatt. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D, 
D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Two Two Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to 22freaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor. <laughs>